Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And we are so fired up about this weekend and the Sandbox Cooperative Live event. It's an important conversation that you really don't want to miss. Yeah, I'm really excited to introduce you to our friend Regina. I caught up with her a couple days ago and she wanted to share this with you. Hi, I'm Regina Mustafa. I'm the founder of City Community Interfaith Dialogue on Islam, an interfaith nonprofit organization formed in 2014. And I am very excited to be invited into the Sandbox on Sunday, October 30th at 7 p.m. We'll be welcoming your questions ahead of time and during the show. And we will be discussing the importance of interfaith dialogue and interfaith acceptance. So please tune in. And I'm really excited, and it should be a lot of fun. As Regina said, we will be having this conversation this coming Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on October 30th. You can participate online via our online stream at sandboxcooperative.com or join us in beautiful downtown Rochester, Minnesota at Studio 324. Doors open at 6.30, and we are expecting a big crowd. So make plans to get there a little bit early. We'll have snacks. We'll have music. We'll have wonderful times, and we'll have more snacks. Sweet. Looking forward to it. Uh, you know, maybe more now than ever, we need to be having a conversation about interfaith dialogue with our Muslim brothers and sisters. There's so much bad information and misunderstandings. We just need to be intentional about building relationships on trust, uh, our common ground, and our love of neighbor. This evening will be all about that. More about this later, but for now, let's get into episode 31, Daniel Kirk Enters the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox. So during our road trip a few months back, we connected with a guy named Daniel Kirk. Daniel's a New Testament scholar and the host of the LectioCast podcast. We're excited to share this conversation with you today. Well, Daniel Kirk is with us in the sandbox, and uh, so good to have you here. Thank you. It's great to play in your sandbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sandbox. I, I think. The... I'll, I'll tell you in an hour. Yeah, whether. right. See how, this thing, your sandbox. <laughs> see how this thing goes. Yeah, you know, so we're in San Francisco and uh, uh, sitting here in our kind of makeshift studio. Uh, Daniel, I uh, would love to hear about your story and uh, your work and, and what you're most passionate about these days. Sure. Three different questions. Um, yeah. I'll, maybe yeah. I'll focus on the latter two right now. Okay. Um, well, for about the last seven years, I've been doing a major research project on Jesus as what I call an idealized human figure. And the, the big idea behind that is that when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we are seeing Jesus uh, being depicted as somebody who is everything that God always wanted humanity to be. I'm reacting a little bit against the uh, more or less recent trend in New Testament scholarship to um, to see Jesus' divinity in all of the layers of the okay. earliest Christian tradition. And I, I don't want to deny the divinity of Jesus, but I want to say there's this other thing. And, and I'm passionate about it for a couple reasons. One uh, is because I think that the the humanity of Jesus is one of the most underdeveloped uh, theological uh, categories that we have. Hmm. I think that for a lot of us, we kind of fall into the Anselm trap, which was, you know, why did Jesus have to be God? Well, because God was so awesome. Uh, and why did he have to be human? Well, because we're the ones who sucked, right? So you've got to figure out how to get we suck and God is awesome, you know, all on the same 
person so that you know this problem between us and God could be fixed. Uh, but there's so much more to being to being human and to Jesus being human. And you know what it comes down to for me is that in this biblical story that Jesus enters into, God has a plan for creation. And that plan for creation is that God's image-bearing creatures will faithfully rule the world on God's behalf, will be, uh, in, in a lot of ways, the physical embodiment of God. This mm-hmm. is what humanity is created to do mm-hmm. in Genesis 1, and you see it uh, elsewhere in the priestly literature, that humanity is created, in a sense, to be a theophany. So there is this massive dignity that God imbued humanity with. And if we lose that, if we lose that sense that part of what Jesus is doing is reclaiming humanity's place on the earth, I feel like the story a lot of us work with is, well, Satan or humanity screwed up the world so bad that God couldn't fix it. Mm-hmm. So um, God had to you know, just come down and do deus ex machina thing uh, to, to set the world to rights, and he kind of jettisons his plan. Um, but you know, I, I see this biblical story as a story not of rescue out of this world, but of redemption of all of the created realm. Mm-hmm. And so I think to, to hold on to that, we really have to cultivate the fact that Jesus is human, and that what God wants for humanity is that humanity humans rule the world on God's behalf. So when I'm looking at the, the gospel stories, what I'm saying is that when we see Jesus as son of God or son of man, or when we see Jesus exercising authority over demons or over nature or over sick bodies, that in all of these ways we're being shown somebody who, like, finally, there's a person here who is sufficiently faithful to God and sufficiently endowed with this gift of the Spirit that he can he can rule over all of it and and do it well and fulfill the story, which then also opens up the way for us uh, because Jesus is calling followers to do all of the things that he does, uh, and I feel like it when we when we are willing to engage with the humanity of Jesus, part of the practical payoff is. No longer are these stories just about what he did for me. They become involving stories uh, of what and show us what he's calling us to as well. Yeah, there's certainly a different call to action in that. Like, if it's not just, oh, yeah, thankfully Jesus did this thing for me, but mm-hmm. like, that's what humanity is at its best. Right. Then, then that's what I am at my best. That draws me into something a little differently than I think our common narrative might might suggest. Yeah, and and if you take you know just maybe take the four things that Jesus does, we'll take five or, or yeah four or five. He preaches, he teaches, he casts out demons, he heals, and then he he goes to die on the cross. And Mark tells us that when Jesus calls disciples, he calls them so they can be with him and so that he can give them authority to cast out demons and to and to preach. And then later on, he sends them to preach and to cast out demons, and they heal Mm -hmm. people. And then when the narrative turns to the cross, he says to his disciples, if you want to be my disciples, you have to take up your cross and follow me. So all of these hallmarks of Jesus' ministry, you see him extending and inviting his disciples into. And so, yeah, it is not just about him. It's about this paradox of the way of life that God is calling us to, where in the the hidden and concealed way of the cross is this eruption of new life in the kingdom of God. 
No, and I, I was going to say, uh, it reminds me of an episode that we did, I don't know, a little while ago. We were talking about some of uh, Matthew Fox's uh, writing about original blessing. Mm. And so if uh, in Genesis 1, everything is created, it's created good. Right. Uh, that's one. That's where the Bible kind of starts. And then in Genesis 3, well, it all goes haywire. But uh, right. so often Christians are starting in Genesis 3, uh, which... Uh, Isn't the beginning. Is not the beginning. <laughs> right. We start in blessing. We start it. It's good. It, no, this is it, it's it's a good thing, and Jesus is there. It says, "No, this is it's still a good thing, and it's still a creative mm-hmm. thing." And and here's the, the way to live into that good creative thing, yeah. and and uh, this idea of being uh, created co-creators uh, with with Jesus, with with you know, or He shows us how to do that um, it, again. Yeah, sometimes I get stuck in a rut uh, and say the same thing every time that I'm speaking. And for a while, my rut was that wherever I was, you heard me reference that second verse to joy to the world, where it says, no long, no more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground, this allusion to, to Genesis 3. And then he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, right? So mm-hmm. the idea mm-hmm. that, that that blessing trumps the, the curse, and even more than that, it, it, it blows up beyond even the original blessing, right? Because there's consummation, not just initiation. So yeah, I agree, getting behind that and, and recognizing just this massive dignity um, that includes roles to play, jobs mm-hmm. to do uh, that God has for all of us. Um, but I also deeply believe that it had to be reclaimed, right? I'm not, I'm not saying, well, Jesus is just showing us like, you know, any schmo should be able to walk on water. Uh, <laughs> he's coming as somebody who is specially endowed as king over this kingdom, and he is, you know, waging a war against everything that's hindering human life and flourishing, including, of course, you know, our relationship with God, but also our relationships with each other and, uh, and the created world. And I, I believe that we need that kingship and that uh, achievement in essence um uh, the maybe this is my this is where my paul training starts to leak out but mm-hmm. you know i feel like we need that that new adam to create the new humanity this is like new creation work uh that that has to be done to to restore the the world to what god wants it to be this is the part where i look at chris and i say <laughs> What you got? <laughs> That's amazing. Oh. Yeah, I've also yeah, been yeah. been working on sex recently. So you know, there's, if if you don't have if you don't want to talk about <laughs> Jesus anymore, you know. <laughs> so um, so what are you seeing as things that people are dealing with on an everyday basis? Maybe things that that are that are international conversations or or local conversations or whatever. What where where are you seeing uh, this work kind of turning that upside down or changing mm. the story around some of those things? Mm. Probably most recently, the place where I've seen it turn the story upside down is I've realized in myself that I have a, an unexpected gratitude with the fact that all of like the finalists for our presidential elections basically suck and nobody likes them. Uh, I mean, somebody likes them. I'm sorry, you're listening. I know some of you are going to be supporters of, of one of them or the other, and that's great. But um, what I've actually realized is that sometimes in our American politics, especially, there is such a Christian culture and a Christian influence, and Christians are 
looking to the politicians to help make the world what we believe it can be, that uh, there is a messianism that seeps into our our politics, especially our presidential politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I was very happy, you know, with uh, Barack Obama's first presidential run, and you know, excited by by what he brought, and that idea that he is the bringer of hope is it it can be an idolatrous messianism that where Mm -hmm. we're looking to this human president to to be for the world what only god can be and as i'm going back through these stories of the gospels the one thing that always happens is that the kingdom of god refuses to come in the means that have been created by the kingdoms of the world and so, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, yeah, I want to be participant in this kingdom work that Jesus is doing. And I think it's easy to make the mistake that the way to do that is to leverage political power. Um, we can make that mistake because we at least have been led to believe that we have so much access to it in America because mm-hmm. we're a democracy. And uh, yeah, I think that to see, okay, we are called to, to participate and again and again, Jesus keeps turning to his disciples and says, saying, no, it's, you don't get this kind of power, i.e. kingdom of God power, by wielding the kind of instruments that the kingdom of the world already has here. So for mm-hmm. me, reading this as an entailing story, it's reminded me that, you know, um, electoral politics is all about the road to glory in the White House, and the kingdom of God is about the way of the cross as, you know, the way that, that God's kingdom comes uh, and that it, his will uh, is, is done on earth. So uh, I think it's an invitation to, um, to lower our eyes a bit um, and to, to not have that lowering of our eyes be imagining that the, the kingdom of God won't make itself known, but to realize that that's actually how it how it does come. That's how this works. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not a defeat for me that somebody whose politics are more like mine doesn't get elected. That's an invitation to to start reimagining my place in the story in a way that fits a little better and to stop making mm-hmm. that recurring dis- mistake that the disciples made. So in all of the despair that we hear about, and we were just talking about this yesterday, Donald Trump gets elected and now what? Um this is a movement from from the the bottom up. This is a movement with those on the underside of power and, and, and what Trump or Hillary Clinton or whoever definitely represents the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if whoever whichever candidate you don't like gets elected, yeah. But but what about my neighbor who's kind of right over here and, and how can I lift mm-hmm. that person? Yeah, up and, and I, that I think we, we have a call to to pursue justice and good for our neighbors. And um, again, I think we get trapped a little bit in thinking about how to make that happen through laws and and those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And that's important. I mean, Mm -hmm. if we have access to that and we can help change it, we should. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, maybe just asking about your neighbor, you know, the specific neighbor you're worried about, and maybe learning some things as well. You know, I think this has been part of the critique of more progressive politics recently is that it's, it doesn't listen to working people anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. you know, maybe this is 
in a lot of ways an, an invitation for us to uh, to start talking to our real neighbors rather than talking about our imagined neighbors, um, <laughs> and that might be a better way of living out this call of love as well. Yeah, I mean, okay, so you're <laughs> talking about uh, human sexuality. Let's go for it. Yeah, um, this has been something that's been uh, in prog uh, in progress for me for a while, and. It, for me, it actually started with wrestling with uh, gender issues in the mm. church, and I've done um, a fair bit of stumping for the Christians for Biblical Equality. That's a that's an evangelical group that advocates for women to have full access to um, leadership okay. in the churches. Uh, so I started with that, and uh, you know, so I'm that's that's one piece that's that's moving, and there's this is there's a couple of tides that are going to kind of come together. So okay. that that's going on. Um, the year that I moved to San Francisco uh, was also the year that California had Prop Eight on the ballot. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was you know going to be um, uh, defining marriage as between uh, a man and a woman. Two thousand ten. Uh, Two thousand eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah. Right. The same as as Obama. That's mm-hmm. right. Right. And and so I had to start thinking about sexuality in the in the public sphere uh, at that point. And you know, where I landed with that really was, I, I was helped on this by Miroslav Wolf, um, who came shortly thereafter, I think, to, to talk about you know, what does it look like to be a Christian in, in public sphere and political mm-hmm. life. And he says, it was, it's so simple once, once you say it, um, but he's like, this is how you're, you're a Christian in the public sphere. You keep asking the question, uh, what does it look like to love my neighbor as myself, and how do I do unto my neighbor as I would want done for me? And, and to have that be your grid rather than what do I think is right mm-hmm. um, in a more specific, nuanced sort of way, I think is, I think for a lot of us, that's the difference. That's what separates even you know, Christians, how we think we should engage in politics, is what I think is happening in politics that I should, that I know really well because of the Bible or my tradition that this is what God wants for people. And so I'm going to try to make that will, you know, the law of the land as much as possible. Or am I going to look at the people around me and say, what, what God wants me to do is to be a blessing for these people in a way that they would be able to know it and receive it as mm-hmm. a blessing, even if they don't agree with my theology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we were just in Texas this last weekend. It is not a blessing to anyone that you cannot buy alcohol before noon, okay? Um, <laughs> if I, if I want to have mimosas before church so I can endure your sermon, like that's that's a <laughs> blessing for you. It's a blessing for me. You it's know, a win-win situation. It's, a, it's win-win. <laughs> so change those laws, Texas. I got no patience for it. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and so you're wrestling with with sexuality, with homosexuality in the public sphere. You know, I realized, you know, this is what I want. You know, I want the person that I choose to spend my life with to be able to inherit my stuff without worrying about it. I want them to not be allowed to be forbidden from coming into my hospital room. Not just they can mm-hmm. come, but you're not allowed to stop them from doing it. You know, these uh, ways that um, the, the relationship is just recognized by society. And I wouldn't want anybody else telling me that I can't marry who I want to marry. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's just none of your business. <laughs> um, and so, you know, so even while I was a traditionalist in my theology, I thought that it was important for me not to try to make my theology the law of the land and just to realize, mm-hmm. you know, the only reason that I would vote for this is because of a theological conviction, but 
loving my neighbor as myself or doing unto my neighbor as I would want done to me means giving them a freedom to do things that I might think are wrong. You know, I, I wouldn't want, here's, you know, another example that hits deeply home. You know, if there was sort of a, this said, you know, Jewish Muslim coalition to, to keep all of us from eating bacon because it's an abomination, you know, like, no, thank you. You know, I want my bacon. Right. We'll be be fighting in the streets. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, I think Mm -hmm. it takes some humble, creative imagination to really think, what would I want my neighbor to do for me? And Mm -hmm. you can't say, well, if I was disobeying the law of God, then I would want them, you know, to, to restrain me with their laws. No, because we all disagree about what that is. So given that we disagree about that, Mm-hmm. What we all want is the freedom to do what we believe God's calling us to. So that was an that was an important like first step for me um, a while ago, and then I started doing this stuff with gender. I was sort of thinking along the same lines. Um, the The story goes on. Do you wanna Do you wanna engage? Do you wanna yeah, respond no, to anything I, before I keep talking? Well, I I was just gonna say you know. Um, the command of, of loving your neighbor uh, and, and and treating them as, as as you would want to be treated it's it's that simple and that hard, mm-hmm. right? It's 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 both it's both of those things. And it, to me, uh, a lot of the the laws uh, you know that you know people want to have on the books around you know maybe human sexuality uh, specifically, and there's uh-huh. others as well, um, come from a lot of the same people who decry Sharia law, right? Right. It, 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 and somehow I don't, don't recognize it at all. Don't I mean, recognize it's just, that it's a but I, I think thing. that's so. That was gonna be kind of my, my question is, you know, like what is it so deep within us that just can't handle it when somebody else does something differently? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean the the yeah, and the hardest part of all this really is being able to recognize when we ourselves are in kind of the, the parallel positions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my um, my family recently discovered that. Um, my both of my grandparents on my mom's side are technically Jewish. Their moms are Jewish. And okay. on my grandmother's side, um, there were grandmothers and aunts that got um, taken to Auschwitz and killed. Mm-hmm. So this is like this, this new moment for our family. And as I was debriefing this with one of my family members, um, what this family member said was, it's so important to remember this because look at the kind of things that the Muslims are trying to impose on the rest of the world. And, mm. you know, my th- response to her was, it's really important to remember this. Look at the presidential candidate who's talking about putting people in concentration camps or holding camps or, mm. or whatever right. and, and building yeah. walls between different. I mean, you know, hello, Germany. Mm. Um, and it's it's mm-hmm. so much easier to look to the other person and to feel you know, like our tribe has it right and. Yeah, this is actually uh, something that I try to hammer so much as a New Testament professor. Uh, I, I always try to instill in my students that you haven't really understood the force of a passage in the Gospels until you understand how it is that you and your people, your tribe, are standing in the position of Jesus' opponents and mm-hmm. opposing mm-hmm. what he's trying to do. Um, so I think that exercise is something that we all need to cultivate because otherwise what we cultivate is just self-righteousness and, um, yeah, we, we, we yeah. just can't, we can't hear how, how we're being the same. It reminds me of something Chris says is, uh, how often do we read 
read the Bible and, and, and discover that we look more like a first century Roman mm. uh, soldier than a, right. than a uh, first mm-hmm. century Jew. Yeah, you know, this is actually one, you know, with this whole love your neighbor as yourself or do unto others as you would have done unto you, um, it's, it's so amorphous and we can justify so many things. And love is just so, eh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I actually, this is actually one of the ways that I try to, one of the grids that I use. Like, and in this situation, what course of action looks like, you know, the crucified Christ and which one looks like the crucifying centurion? And, you know, mm-hmm. the difference between somebody taking up their cross and you nailing them to it. Mm-hmm. And this is actually something that that I have wrestled with in terms of the the sexuality conversations and um i know you guys are gonna be talking to my friend tim otto um Mm -hmm. uh, soon hey as far as i know that podcast has already come out and people are listening to this one later you know who knows (laughs) the time warp of the the podcast scene but you know he has made a decision to live as a a celibate gay man and you know i'm i've been doing a lot of advocating for you know uh people uh, LGBT people to be able to be full members in the church and mm-hmm. pastors married whatever recently, um, and I, I don't think that there's actually a, a tension here because I can celebrate the decision that for a lot of complicated reasons my friend made to choose a life of celibacy, but him choosing to take up that cross himself versus me or a church power putting that cross on him mm-hmm. are two mm-hmm. very different postures. And you don't know what following Jesus looks like just by the outcome in that person's life. You know what the way of Jesus looks like by the way that that situation came about. Mm-hmm. For, me, for me, that just comes back to what you were talking about with the humanity of Jesus, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, that's a full that's a full circle. I mean, those, those two, um, if it's not if it's not about the beliefs, if that's not what unites us and defines us as, as people of faith, as Christians, mm-hmm. uh, and it is about the way that we consider, the way that we're making the world better, the way that we're following the pattern of Jesus, I mean, those are all, it's all, I don't know, I don't know what else to say other than like, if that's true, that should be really apparent then that this is, this is a different approach, mm-hmm. and this is the way we, we might, we might want to live. Agree, agree. It's, I mean, the, one of the, the blessings of the Bible is its diversity, and one of the curses of the Bible is its diversity. <laughs> and, you know, I think we do find that not only are there different passages within the Jesus tradition that, you know, people can go to and point to, but, you know, there are different Gospels, and then there's Paul, and there's this, there's all these different accents that are given to mm. the question, what does it look like to, to faithfully follow and we have the pastoral epistles, and that's where you know the teaching and things come more to the fore. Um, yeah, so that's just part of the challenge: is how do we even agree that looking at the Jesus story is what matters? You know, I, I I don't know a lot about you know old school dispensationalism and this kind of thing, but um, my my wife has family from you know Alabama, Texas, and she's got has an uncle uh, who's just you know, dedicated, devoted, you know to his church, to scripture and all this. And he just made an offhand comment one day, like, oh yeah, um, well, then there's the stuff that Jesus, we don't try to do that because that was for that dispensation. And now we're in the dispensation of the spirit. You know, like, oh, Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Like (laughs) there's, you know, a, a theological system that says we don't even have to try to think about 
what following Jesus would look like here because that's not our rubric. That was the rubric for the disciples. So it's that's just kind of wow. that's maybe an extreme example, but yeah, even the idea that we should go to Jesus and think about what is faithfully following him and embodying the story look like is it's not a given. And yeah, I I want to I want to keep pressing it and saying yeah. we really need to be doing these this thing uh, and maybe saying it to people who have um, built a little more of their understanding mm-hmm. on uh, a certain reading of Paul mm-hmm. as well. And, and greater things, if we're following that story. It just keeps opening up uh, more and more, and if, it, and if it's uh, relegated to just believing the right things or knowing the right things, uh, then we'll continually have less and less because you can't, you're not open to, because something's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to, the, the, a new understanding is going to happen tomorrow, and it's not going to be able to be reconciled with this old understanding that I've, I've built a fence around. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And I mean, the church has had to deal with this time and time again. You yeah. know, everybody brings up Galileo and sure. Copernicus and all this. Uh, and you know, everybody fights about whether it's the same thing or not. Sure, but, sure. Yeah. And we, the Google. And the Google. And the Google. <laughs> <laughs> got, got the Google on my computer, so it's, um, I'm learning all kinds of new things, you know. Right. And, and, and to what degree does, you know... It, is this kind of renewed uh, conversation have to do with this uh, digital uh, information age uh, mm. that we have? Um, yeah, I mean, this is the. I mean, it's a it's a blessing and a curse, right? In that, at least theoretically, you have access to everything. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we feel that thought that we have more access to everything helps us feel reinforced in what we already believe because. But between Facebook and Google, these things are primed to to give us what we want to hear, right? They give us the search results or the the things in our feed that they think we actually care about. So we end up with this echo chamber. It's the the world's largest echo chamber, right? It should be the world's largest library, but it ends up being the world's largest echo chamber. Um, But on the other hand, it does provide that possibility, and people can go and, if they really care, find the research and run down what actually is going on, you know, with... Uh, yeah, disputed, disputed matters, uh, and and meet new people. Because if I, if there's some a Facebook friend from high school who I disagree with, I'll just unfriend him. Uh-huh. Like if he's exactly. saying, if he's spouting off all kinds of nonsense, gone. Right. <laughs> uh, if there's a bookmark, I'm not going to bookmark uh, a particular news source that I don't agree with because right. it's garbage. Right. But and yeah, so it, yeah, it's an echo chamber for sure. Never thought about it like that. <laughs> See, we're worse off than you thought when we started. Oh, man. I've done my job. Thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) My work here is through. Oh, man. One of the things that I've been thinking about as you've been talking is the humanity of Jesus, right? When I'm, as a person who preaches on a pretty pretty regularly regular basis, I come on the uh, uh, on the miracle passages. I'll often say, don't get lost in the cool factor here, um, mm. because it's really distracting and shiny, um, and you want to look at that. But what are we learning in this moment mm. uh, about you know? So oftentimes I'll, I'll preface it. Um, my com- my congregations that I've served, my students, whether kids or adults that I've taught have never heard me teach a literal uh, creation story mm. that that's never been my, my thing. And, and, and I, I don't teach that. 
so many things that I don't teach keep getting fed back to me. Well, you know, you say, right, right. you know, That's six days and, and you know, you say, you know, I'm like, you, you've never heard me say that. Um, <laughs> I, I, get, I can guarantee it because I don't think that and I never have. And not that I haven't evolved and changed over time, but I've, I've evolved and changed from a different spot. Right. right. So, um, but they are, they are they are learning a a thing from the broader Christian culture that says Jesus died for my sins. Mm-hmm. That says uh, literal creation story. That says, um, and so even though you know you could be teaching uh, some of these things, I can be teaching. We can be. We're up against just a massive uh, cultural push uh, mm-hmm. that that uh, the loud voices of Christianity are are saying something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I- Sometimes, you know, know, I'm lucky to to be in a classroom with people who know that they think that, well, if they don't know when they walk in, usually at least by the third or fourth week, they understand that I'm not there to tell them that everything they thought coming in the door was right so that they can get an A for it, Um, but I'm... I'm basically there to screw with them. That's, that's <laughs> get what get all your answers questioned. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I'll just take that Jesus died for our sins. I was like, fine. Now, what does that mean in yeah. any yeah. given book of the New Testament, right? Um, you say Jesus died for our sins. All right, let's look at the ransom saying in Mark. Ransom. <laughs> Is ransom about guilt? Like, who do you ransom, right? Well, you, know, you ransom hostages, right? So hostages have broken the law and so they need to be ransomed no there <laughs> somebody has you know somebody there is law breaking but it's not them right so mm-hmm. you know, just to say yeah there is okay fine payment for their for a sin or however but realize that there's a completely different metaphor at play here than the one you're normally working with and you know sometimes sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't but you realize it it also takes a long time. I mean, one of the reasons that, that I blog, um, jaredykirk.com, storytheology.com, uh, one is. of the reasons that I, I blog is for continuing theological education for my students. I had, mm. this, I had this class I teach called The Cross in the New Testament, and basically what I do is deconstruct the idea that there's one atonement theology and that penal substitution is it. And I show my students that if you want to really get into the cross in the New Testament, you find probably three or four times as much material that tells you the cross defines our way of life as Christians, as material that tells you how it you know, functions in some transaction between you and God. So those are like mm-hmm. the two big things. So you know, this is what I'm doing in this class. Um, you know, I have students who come and take it, whatever. I'm teaching the class again two years later, and because I only have so many tracks I have in my brain, you know, I'm blogging stuff that is stuff that I talk about all the time, stuff I do in class all the time. And somebody who took that class two years later, like this comment, like, like it was the darndest thing he had ever heard in his life, you know, like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. I'm like, I know that's why you got to be minus. But, <laughs> but the, the, the point nice. is that, you know, 10 weeks of having me talk about it yeah. for three hours and reading, you know, 1200 pages and doing projects to get you onto it. And like, you know, I thought no dent. Um, there was dent, but there wasn't breakthrough until the hammer hit, mm. you know, two years later and you know, there'd been more time for sifting and processing. You know, that's just to say 
we have an amazing capacity as humans to integrate information that doesn't actually fit with what we know um, or you know, uh, or what we think what we think to be true. Um, so you know, as pastors, when you know the point of a sermon isn't to hopefully give an academic lecture so that mm-hmm. somebody thinks something differently about that, you know, it's it's like a lifetime's work mm-hmm. to to really help people see where you're trying to to push them maybe in some different directions and mm-hmm. um, reform their some of the basic understandings when they're yeah. getting this stuff in ways that's just part of the culture and they'll never know. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, we're gonna we're definitely gonna have links uh, to your to your blog on and oh, great. and any other links that um, will connect uh, people with you and your scholarship and your work and um, yeah, we'll definitely, definitely. Thanks. The uh, the Jesus book should be out by the end of the summer. It's it's written for academics. Um, it's big, um, but it's called "A Man Attested by God: The Human okay. Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels." Um, and Erdman's is publishing that. And um, yeah, I had a book before that called "Jesus Have I Loved But Paul," uh, that really, in a lot of ways, is my big biblical. It's a little biblical theology about how Jesus and Paul fit in the big mm-hmm. story, and I deal with issues of you know race and power and sexuality. I hadn't come around as affirming then so it's yeah. a little bit maybe it's not my full story but um sure. yeah i think folks have found it helpful so cool. uh, yeah wow thank you so yes so thank much. you guys for having me this yeah. was a really fun conversation yeah. it was really uh, good i said conversation but i think i talked a lot more but um <laughs> well they don't want to hear from us all right way too much way yeah, too yeah. much that's awesome that's great We have labels, categories, and boxes for for just about everything. From our politics to our neighborhoods, our clothing, our friends, our shoes, our religion, and so much more. In all of these areas, but for now as we consider faith, we throw around loaded blanket labels and terms. Conservative, liberal, progressive, evangelical, emerging, mainline, modern, postmodern, and on and on and on. And then Daniel asks a a very pointed question. Is living, loving, and walking the way of Jesus enough to define us as a people? Is living, loving, and walking the way of Jesus enough to define us as a people? That is a good question to hold and reflect on for a while. Rather than overly simplistic labels, maybe we define ourselves by the way we live love, and walk. You and I, in that way of thinking, become flesh and blood emissaries of Jesus rather than a loaded term or or a random label. And why do we even need labels anyway? At one point, Daniel said, one of the blessings of the Bible is its diversity, and one of the curses of the Bible is its diversity. The Bible's diversity is a blessing because it is so big and varied and inclusive that we can actually see ourselves in the story. But that same diversity can feel like a curse because it's so large and expansive that it resists any humanly conceived and created label. So we can't control and master the other. So we come back to the core question. Is living loving, and walking the way of Jesus enough to define us as a people? Perhaps. But be prepared. 
because that kind of walk will be filled with discovery about ourselves, our neighbors, the world, and God that may be exhilarating, but it will not always be easy. On that kind of a walk, we risk being open to new ideas and not all of them welcomed. But if we are committed to that walk, we can experience the blessing of a diverse creation, a life of discovery, and a reality where where we dive deeper into the mystery. So, one last time. I'll end with a question for us to think on for a while. Is living, loving, and walking the way of Jesus enough to define us as a people? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. And thanks to Daniel Kirk for spending some time with us while we were out in San Francisco. If you want to learn more from Daniel, you can check out his work at jrdkirk.com or listen to his LectioCast podcast. And don't forget to join us either online or in person for Sandbox Cooperative Live event this coming Sunday. We'll be talking interfaith dialogue with Regina Mustafa. Again, we will be at Studio 324 in downtown Rochester, Doors open at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, and the event begins at 7 p.m. And if you're outside the Rochester area, head to sandboxcooperative.com a few minutes before 7, and you'll be able to watch and participate from there. We are so happy to share Sandbox Cooperative as a resource with you. If you find value here, please be sure to share this podcast with a friend or a family member who might like it. There is always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.